What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of The Real Build. I'm your host, Bill Ryman, your broker builder, and this is episode 166 of The Real Build. And in this episode, I have another amazing guest for you. His name is Matt Pacheni. He is a real estate investor, author, and actor, actually, and he is doing some big things in real estate. And I love having these guys on because each and every real estate investor is different. And obviously, you guys know this podcast is about construction, real estate, everything to do in all aspects of it. And in the world today, uh, the way you know real estate is and with inflation and so many things going on, I want to get to the bottom of where everybody should be putting their money, how to be building houses, how to be investing in real estate, how to be you know, if you're buying your first home, what you should be looking for. I'm trying to target these things because we live in a different world. And Matt and I discuss these topics throughout this podcast too. He's had a lot of success in real estate. Him and I discussed what goes on behind the scenes of a real estate deal. We talk about his journey as a full-time actor to a full-time investor, operator of thousands of of thousands of apartment units and how he did that too. Talk about his book a little bit. I've had a few investors on recently, and obviously we're going to kind of transition now to some different things to help you, you know, with investing. And then I also got some great interviews coming up. We got a lot going on this year, so I appreciate each and every one of you tuning in. You are going to love this episode with Matt, though. We really lay down some strategies for you because a lot of people are afraid right now where, where to put their cash. The stock market's up and down. It's a kind of a scary place. And me growing up and kind of learning, and my dad's always been kind of into real estate too, and he always actually had a recent conversation with my my dad, and my dad said, times like this, the safest place to put your money is always in real estate. So that's why I'm kind of hitting the on these real estate topics a little bit more for you guys. I hope this helps. Please take the time. You guys know the routine. Never going to advertise. Just trying to deliver you all as much value as possible. So like, subscribe, share, comment. Uh, also reach out to me if there's any topics that you would like to hear. Take the time to review on iTunes as well. And with that being said, guys, enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to The Real Build, the show that shows you exactly what you need to look for in construction and real estate. I am your host, Bill Ryman, your broker builder, and each week I will teach you exactly what you need to look for, whether you are buying, building, or selling a house. I interview top people throughout real estate and construction to give you a better perspective prior to making one of the biggest investments of your life. I will also discuss my personal experiences as a luxury builder and real estate broker and answer your questions about the process. With that being said, welcome to The Real Build. Matt Pacheni, welcome to The Real Build. How are you doing today, sir? Bill, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing really good. Awesome, man. I'm I'm excited to have you on. You and I were just talking before the show. I've had quite a few real estate investors on. Uh, everybody's a little bit different. Everybody has kind of a different mindset, different strategy, and so on. Today, we're going to get into how we can help today's investor. Uh, but before we get started, let's talk about you. So who is Matt Pacheni? Well, uh, I guess first I would say I'm a father. 
Uh, then I would say that I'm a husband. And then I might say that I'm a real estate investor, right? So I, I uh, invest in real estate apartments uh, across the the United States. Um, main, as I said, apartments, mainly apartments, mainly multifamily, although I've done some new construction, I've done some land development. So I'm definitely open to some other things. And once in a while, my wife and I will join forces and produce Broadway shows, which is a whole other tangent we could, we could briefly talk about at some point if you want. But uh, you know, my my main thing, my main focus is is real estate. I saw that in your background about the Broadway shows too. touch on that a little bit, too, because that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, not many people can say they do that. So let's let's go into your background on that a little <laughs> bit, too. Then we'll get dive into some real estate. Yeah, sure. Bill. Well, you know, I moved to New York City uh, in 1992 to pursue a career in theater. And I was actually a professional actor for five years. Um, but yeah, I, I went to a musical theater conservatory, graduated from that, professional actor for five years. I was in 15 different productions all across the United States. I ended up getting involved in digital marketing and doing coding of websites in between acting gigs instead of waiting tables at the Hard Rock Cafe. I ended up starting my own company, doing website development. Uh, 2001 came along, the dot-com bubble burst, and my company that I had, this boutique shop doing digital marketing things uh, basically imploded, right? Because because everybody was going out of business. And at that time, I was told by my landlord that I had 90 days to get out of the apartment that I was living in. Um, so I wanted to stay in New York. I wanted to live somewhere. But how, how did I find a place to live without it? With, without a job and with a, with a business has completely failed. Um, I ended up going in-house uh, to a, a client of mine, uh, Showtime, the cable television channel. They offered me a position, so I, I went there and I found an apartment, but instead of renting, I actually bought something way, way, way further away from where I wanted to live, way, way, way uptown. But I ended up selling it about two and a half years later. And I saw my initial investment in that real estate uh, more than quadruple in value. Mm -hmm. And so that was like a huge light bulb moment for me. That's when I started getting involved in real estate. And so as I was having this career in, in digital marketing and sort of working at a bunch of different advertising agencies, I had an 18-year career in, in digital marketing. I also did real estate as a hobby. And then about seven years ago is when I did started doing real estate full time. Also, a little bit before that, about a year or two before that, I, I had met my wife. We had gotten married and my wife works in the theater full time, actually, on the business side of Broadway. So uh, because of that, there's been opportunities for my wife, Erica, and I to be involved in some Broadway shows. You know, started off with us just uh, investing um, it's it's interesting if you know anything about real estate syndications, uh, most Broadway shows are actually structured like a, a real estate syndication. It's a syndication. So we started investing in deals and then uh, we started actually co-producing. We've co-produced a couple of shows. We actually won a couple of Tony Awards for, for the stuff that we've done. So it's been really nice that, you know, I had that passion. It's what I started off wanting to do. And now that I still do real estate and that's that's my nine to five. Once in a while, I can collaborate with my wife and still be involved in theater uh, in, in in one aspect, which is which is kind of you know really nice and and rewarding for me. Um, so it's something I'm passionate about and I care about deeply, so it's it's nice to be able to do that. 
I love your background and I know a lot of your background has kind of helped you with your, your success in real estate too, you know, and obviously you're an author, you were a coder, you were an actor, and now you're a real estate investor and all those little things that you're, I shouldn't say little things, those major things that you did, uh, you know, have helped, you know, you get to the position that you are today too. And I love seeing that because with communication, with investing and, and getting in front of people like you did as an actor and then shows and so on too and then the coding aspect of it knowing the technology knowing all these different things too i'm sure has helped you know really ignite your real estate career yeah i think it has and you know starting a real estate career from nothing right yeah. really sort of starting from scratch and starting a business from scratch it was really helpful to have had my own, you know, boutique agency where I had already done a business once before. So kind of understood sort of how it works and also was able to build my own website and be able to, you know, with all the experience I had in digital marketing for 18 years, I, I know how to, how to market myself and sort of how to, how to put systems together in place and like what a CRM is and how that works. So, um, it, it, all those skills, I think, that I've learned along my life journey, if you will, um, really have come into play into, you know, the the current iteration of of, of me and who I am. And one, one thing I got out of what you just said, too, and a lot of people that they fail going into real estate, and I've heard this from past successful investors, too, is that they they treat their real estate investments as a business. It's a business. It's not just you're going to buy a house. It's not just going, you know, and throw somebody in there as a rental or fix it up and flip it or whatever. You treat it as a business. You've also had your failures, which everybody has in business as well, too. Um, so let's talk about, you know, your first initial getting into real estate investing. You know, obviously, I'm sure you had your your trial and errors. Everybody does. I want to hear about those. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, totally. I mean, you just said, you know, hey, you treat real estate as a business. And, you know, the, the thing is, I do now, <laughs> but I didn't when I started, right? Yeah. So when I started, I was sort of following my nose. You know, I, I wrote a whole book, it's called Backstage Guide to Real Estate, which tells that journey that I had from like knowing nothing about real estate and being an actor all the way to where I am now, right? And goes through all those different phases because I, you know, I'm, I do multifamily syndications now, but that's not where I started off. You know, I started off with that primary residence that I was forced into finding because <laughs> I needed a place to live and then, then magically did, did well on it. And, and I did well on it because um, the, the market did well, uh, but also without really realizing what I was doing, I was doing a value add, right? I was I was improving the place. Uh, the, the, the place that I had moved into, the unit itself needed some work, which we did, but also the building itself uh, just had really dated hallways and lobbies and just, it needed to be updated. And I actually joined, so it was a co-op building and I actually joined a committee to actually do the renovations. And we hired an interior designer and like we redid the lobby and the hallways. And like the place looked like a million times better than it had originally. And so that's what also really helped 
you know, increase that property value. Uh, but again, that was just kind of like by instinct. It wasn't like, oh, if I buy this property and we fix this up, then the value will increase, right? It wasn't, it wasn't that methodical. I didn't have like a pro forma right now. Today, if I'm doing a deal, I put it all in a spreadsheet and figure out my income and my expenses and what it would cost to do things and what that might do to, to increase my, my net operating income and thereby increase the value of the property, right? I never, I didn't know any of that that stuff back then. And it took me years and years to learn it. You know, I think my biggest learning may have been um, shortly after I sold that apartment. So I sold that apartment and I ended up buying another primary residence, but now in the part of town that I wanted to live in, the Upper West Side. And um, about a year after that, I bought a piece of raw land. And this was land in Connecticut. And it was in a, a, a lake community. Now my property wasn't wasn't lakefront, but I had access to the lake. And a few years later, I ended up building a house there. Mm -hmm. And then that house, eventually, once the house was built, I rented it out. And um, again, it's a whole other long story. It's a whole chapter in the book. But by going through the process of having a piece of land uh, that, you know, almost an acre full of trees and then, you know, actually cutting down the trees, digging a hole, pouring a foundation, building a house and realizing all the different things like, oh, you have to choose the cabinets and the floor and the paint color and the, the fixtures for the faucets. Like I never realized I had to pick out, you know, what do I want four inch or eight inch? And, you know, like I was all kinds of crazy stuff that I never thought about. And then once I was renting it, dealing with tenants, dealing with uh, leasing agreements, uh, and then dealing with all the the accounting. Like I never did that stuff before. I mean, and I started. I remember when I first started with that property, I had a spreadsheet, and then I was like, "All right." Eventually, I was working with a with an accountant. She was like, "All right, you know what, Matt? It's time to get QuickBooks." Like. <laughs> You need to, you know, you got to step up your game a little bit here now. The, the spreadsheets work good for a couple of years, but we need to, you know. So, and I learned about like depreciation. I didn't know what depreciation was. Like there's so many different things that I learned in that the process of that house, that vacation home, um, which was really a short-term, became a short-term rental. Um, you know, that was, that was a, a, a huge, huge learning curve for me. And, and it became very clear to me that I did a really poor job. Uh, if you want to talk about like failure, right? I did a poor job uh, at investing to build a rental home. Now, my initial intention on this was that it was going to be a, a home that I was going to live in, like a vacation home for me. Mm -hmm. Once the 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 place was almost completed, uh, I met a woman who be, is now my wife, and it turned out we had other options for vacation type of because uh, her parents lived in Connecticut, we could go to their house, and they're never there. And so it was a full time rental ever since I I, we, I rented it short term because that was more lucrative, but it, it was always available for rent from the day we had the certificate of occupancy. Um, but like had I put a business plan together for that, I never would have, I never would have built a, I never would have built a home from scratch. Hmm. Uh, 
especially at that time, I would have done much better. Like, like hindsight, like uh, bad idea to do that. Had I known what I know now, I could have bought, especially at, at that time, I probably could have bought like five or six single family homes, you know, like yeah. in another part of the country and had really nice cash flow. This property, when I, you know, I got to a point where I was pretty much breaking even, give or take a couple grand each year just on a cash basis in terms of, you know, income coming in, expenses going out. I also had some tax breaks. Um, you know, I, I had some appreciation in the property. Um, so, but it really was not a, like, I wouldn't do it again, knowing what I know now. Um, but it was an amazing learning experience. I don't have a regret for doing it. I wouldn't be where I am today had it not been for that experience. Yeah, and that's what I was getting at too. Is just the trial and error, the failure, the you know, you you went through that process. You would have never learned from it. You would have never just like you just said. You're like, I could have bought uh, four other properties for what I did with that home and the building experience too. And but you learned. That's the thing, and it was a life lesson learned too. And one thing I wanted to talk about with you too is I I saw it on your website is like how you talk about passive investing. What is it? It's just so the audience knows. And then I want to kind of get into that topic a little bit more too in today's day. Like you and I were kind of briefly talking about before the show started. So let's go into the passive investing and what you're doing today through all this life experience that you've had. Yeah. So I moved to Miami in 2015 my wife got a completely actually we were at the house in connecticut the that the, the vacation home we were there for a weekend uh, it was never really relaxing for me because i was always fixing things at the house but we were up there and my wife i remember sunday morning she was like oh she had like this random email and it was somebody reaching out to her about a um job opportunity in Miami, Florida. And we were like, what? You know, like, we're not moving to Miami. But but Erica was like, you know, I feel like I should, you know, take the call, you know, like have a call with them. And I, and I was like, yeah, of course, you know, who knows what's going to lead to one thing or another. But like, obviously, we weren't moving to Miami. We moved to Miami. So we moved <laughs> to Miami in 2015. I mean, this is completely out of the blue, but an amazing opportunity for, for my wife. So we moved down there. And um, I actually thought when we first moved down there that I was going to work in digital marketing. Because remember, that's what I had been doing for 18 years. Mm -hmm. And so the thought was, oh, we'll move down there and I'll get a job at some agency down there. Well, while I was looking for a job, because I had no connections, we didn't really, I had a huge network in New York. I used to get recruited out of one agency into another, but but in, in Miami, I didn't know anybody. And um, we started, I started interviewing for some jobs. While that was happening, I had a lot of free time during the day. I started listening to uh, audiobook. I was like, I should listen to audiobooks. Like, that's kind of a thing. And so... I got Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because I had heard of that title. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard this is a great book. I should listen to it. And in that book, Kiyosaki talks about creating these um, streams of passive income, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, what that really is, is doing things that uh, investing essentially in things, in businesses uh, that generate um, cash flow to you that you really don't do anything for, 
right? So you set it and forget it, if you will. There was used to be that uh, that infomercial about set it and forget it thing. I forget what it was called. It was some sort of cooking device. But you know, really, that that was the thing, right? You you do a little bit of work up front to vet whatever this project is. Make sure you feel comfortable with it. Make sure you understand it. Make sure that the people who are involved in the operations and the running of it are not crooks because they could yeah. be. Um, so you got to do due diligence. Like it's not something to go into lightly, but if you can do those things well and vet these types of investments well, you can put money into it and have money coming to you. And I thought about where we were. Now, my wife and I, we had, um, so after the property that I bought after I sold the house that was up in Washington Heights. I mentioned I lived on the Upper West Side and then I did the house in Connecticut. Then I did this thing because Erica and I, um, well, Erica was pregnant. We were going to have our first kid and we were living in a small one-bedroom apartment in Manhattan. We wanted more space. So we actually ended up moving to Brooklyn. And that's a whole other story on itself, but it, it's what's called today, they call it a house hack. I didn't know that it was kind of like a thing, but what I knew was I had stumbled upon a place to buy that actually had a rental unit. And I started doing the math on it. I'm like, oh, this makes sense. We didn't buy that. We ended up buying another one, but the place that we bought had a unit that we lived in and a unit that we rented. Hmm. And the rental was actually paying more than half of what the mortgage payment was. So I knew from day one, I was like, this is great. And our unit was better. We renovated our unit and our unit had a backyard. So I was like, hey, if we rent out our unit, we'll get more than what was getting upstairs. And upstairs would pay more than half. So we would have extra money. Like we would have what I found out was called cash flow, right? So um, we already had that because when we moved to Miami, we just rented the place uh, in Brooklyn that we had. So we were getting positive cash flow from that. I thought maybe the Connecticut of place at some point would be cash flow positive. Um, but also we had invested in, in a Broadway show, right? We had done a couple. The first one did not do well. We lost a couple bucks on that one. But the second one was a little show called Hamilton. Mm-hmm. So we had money coming in from the show and money coming in from real estate. And I'm listening to Kiyosaki say, you know, build passive streams of income. And by the way, since we had invested and saw the show Hamilton, loved it, I was listening to the Hamilton soundtrack all the time. And, you know, one day after listening to Kiyosaki, I take a break, I put on the Hamilton soundtrack, and cast album, actually. And they're singing the song, My Shot. And it's all about Alexander Hamilton taking his shot. He needs to take a shot. He needs to go for it. And the cast is chanting, you know, take a shot, take a shot. And I'm sitting here going, why am I trying to get a job in digital marketing, which I I don't even love. I'm kind of burned out. I've been doing it for 18 years. Why don't I take my shot in real estate, which I've been doing as a hobby and been pretty successful in it. And that's when I made the transition to going into doing real estate full time. And my plan was to try to create as many passive streams of income as possible. So that if I had, you know, a rental here and a rental there and all these different little businesses and maybe i would expand out maybe we would do some more broadway shows which we have uh, done and you know what are ways for me to create tons of little businesses that can operate essentially on their own 
and I'll talk about my my real estate portfolio in a little bit to to expand upon that, but that can essentially operate on their own that send me checks, like little checks, like, hey, if I get $100 a month from this thing, you know, but then I have 200 of them, (laughs) all of a sudden it's a lot of money, right? So how do I, over time, build that? And that's what I decided that I wanted to do. And I told that to my wife, and I think she thought I was a little crazy, but she believes in me and was very supportive. And I've gotten to the point now where I've been able to develop all these streams of passive income. And so to talk a little bit about that, you know, you mentioned in the introduction, I, I think you said that I have I have over 10,000, you know, apartment units throughout the country. Um, Two thirds of that are deals that I'm a passive investor in. So I am a limited partner. So what that means is I've been able to go ahead and, and vet the operator, <laughs> make sure I feel really good about who's running the deal, the sponsor or the general partner, right? Those are all kind of the same names for the the different names for the same thing um make sure i'm comfortable with them make sure i'm comfortable with the deal itself the market that the deal is in you know those are those are sort of the three the three deal pillars i call them the sponsor the market and the deal um and and um that that's how i vet everything i actually have a free guide on my website that talks about how to vet a syndication how to look at those three pillars but I look at those three pillars, and if I feel comfortable, I'll go ahead and invest in it. Now, the other third of my portfolio, which is you know almost 4,000 units, are deals that I actually manage, right? So I am, I am the co-sponsor of those deals. I'm the asset manager on those deals. We have third-party property management dealing with the day-to-day. Uh, I'm not knocking on doors and collecting rent or anything like that, but, but I am overseeing that. And uh, so that's sort of my my active portion of the portfolio. Um, but a lot of it is completely passive. Hmm. I was going to ask you, too, and going into that a little bit deeper here is, is the importance of surrounding yourself with the right people and resources to have success in real estate? Because you brought that up of, you know, obviously 10,000 apartments, somebody's got to manage them, you got to have a big trust factor, you brought up the money as well, too, you can't have people stealing your money. How <laughs> as a real estate investor, and and with having, I should say, having control of something like that, how do you keep control? How do you get the right people? Uh, you know, what are you doing to be able to do all this? Because that's probably one of the questions the audience is asking right away. They're like, wow, 10,000 apartments. That's a lot. How do you manage it? So lessons that I learned from the (laughs) building of the house in Connecticut was about building that team and surrounding yourself Mm -hmm. with a council of experts. That's what I did. I mean, I, I didn't get, you know, too into the weeds of that story, but you know, I ended up, I found that area and that property through a friend of mine and her dad was a real estate um, broker, like a, an agent, and he knew people and he knew a contractor. And so like, I was able to build um, experts, a community of experts to help me in my quest to actually end up building the house, right? And mm-hmm. and that's the, that's what I have continued to do in my business. So I have uh, experts that I will turn to, such as my CPA. I actually have an interesting opportunity that might be coming up that I don't understand the tax implications of because it's a really complex thing. 
I shot an email to my CPA yesterday. He's an expert at those kinds of things. I'm pretty good with the tax stuff, by the way. But like, this is a specific, unique situation, and he's my guy. Um, you know, I have attorneys. I have one in particular that I really like to work with, but I have a few different attorneys that I can turn to for different things. Um, you know, when it comes to, like you said, ten thousand units, like I like I mentioned before, seven thousand over seven thousand of those are passive. So I literally don't do anything on those. Right? What happens? I vet the person. And I vet the deal. Like I talk about in that that free download on my website. And then it's I there's more detail on that in my book about how I do that. But I vet the 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 person, the deal, the market. If I feel comfortable, I send them a check. And then it's like I don't even have to like if there was anything I even wanted to do, I really can't. Now I've built relationships with some of these sponsors, and once in a while I may have a an opinion about something. And I will send them an email very politely, like, hey, by the way, you might want to think about X, Y, and Z. I don't want to step on your toes, but you know, because sometimes I can see things, but you know, for the most part, like 99.9% of the time, I never even say anything. Like they know what they're doing, they're experts mm. and they do their thing. And um, I get, hopefully, if the deal's going well, I get uh I get money, right? I get, I would say I get checks in the mail, but I really don't. I get ACHs sent to my bank account. Um, and, and so, you know, I get, I get passive income from that. And at the end of the year, I get a K-1 document, which is a, you know, a tax document that usually shows a loss on paper, even though I've gotten money because of depreciation. So they work with expert CPAs and all of that kind of stuff. And they do their thing and I do my thing. And then, then we sell the property. And then that is a taxable event at that point. Um, but that, you know, there's very little that I have to do on those passive investments. I mean, I could do nothing. I, I like to know a little bit about it. So they send out usually monthly reports, sometimes quarterly reports. So I'll read those, but I could actually just delete them or, you know, ignore them. It, the, the deal's still going to do what it's going to do. I'm just curious to know how they're performing. Um, and I track the performance of them and things like that. Now on the active side, I'm super busy with that, right? There's a lot of things that get involved. I've gotten to a point where I can't do it on my own. So, Oh, I have hired people to, to work for, for me on these things. I have other general partners that I work with and they have staff as well. Um, you know, we hire a third-party property management company to deal with that day-to-day, -day, which allows me to, you know, some people ask about vertical integration, meaning like, hey Matt, you own all these units. Why don't you create your own property management company and run that? Mm -hmm. And it's something I've thought about. I haven't done it yet. I don't know that I ever will. Um, I think I could. You know, my background when I worked in the digital marketing stuff, I, I was a project manager. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a PMI certified project management professional, PMP, which means I'm really good at managing people and budgets and timelines. And I would be, I could build a property management company that I think would be phenomenal, quite honestly. The question is like, do, is that really where I want to focus my time and my no. effort? And, you know, I, I think that it's a lower margin business. And I, I would rather spend my time and where my passion really lies is sort of looking at the strategy and figuring out what we're going to do, how we're going to build 
uh, or or you know enhance and revitalize these communities and and bring strong returns for our investors, right? That's that's what gets me up. It gets me excited when I get up in the morning, right? So. Um, I don't know that we'll ever, ever will vertically integrate. I would rather let uh, pay, pay somebody good money to do that and let them deal with sort of the HR issues, having to make sure you have staff and that the staff is performing well, and you know, all those kinds of things that are important, but aren't exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's kind of, um, where, where, where I'm at, but it's really about building that team around you, finding those experts in areas that you're not an expert to augment the team. And like I said, I was, I was lucky that early on in my earlier on, I had done a business before and I had some skills that were very helpful as I was first starting to build my business because at first it was just me and I didn't have money to pay for experts. I, I when I first bought my pro, I started my company, I had a little bit of money, okay? Because I had had this career in, in 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 New York City and I had saved up some some capital, which I had to to use to, to start my company and start investing in real estate. But I remember I when I was first starting it up, I, I didn't have enough money. Or maybe I had the money, but I didn't want to spend it on, you know, I I didn't feel comfortable spending a lot of money on the structure of the business. Mm -hmm. And I had to decide between hiring the CPA firm, which I've hired now, and they're great and phenomenal, but there was a quite an expensive cost to start everything up with them and and get everything aligned. Uh, And also I had an attorney that I was working with to sort of set up my entities and do the asset protection. And it was like, I really should have done both at the same time. Um, but I had to choose. I, I went with the attorney who had done a lot of work with that CPA and kind of knew how they usually set things up. So we got things set up, I think about 90% of where they ended up ultimately. So it was good. It wasn't a bad thing, but those were, you know, were, were questions that I didn't, I couldn't build the team at, be, at the beginning. I had to sort of bootstrap, right? Like a startup company and figure things out. And now I've gotten to a point where, okay, I actually have a business that's actually generating some revenue and I can hire people and, and you know, buy software and, and do the things that are needed to sort of grow that business. But the first, you know, three or four years of the business, it was uh, not generating <laughs> any revenue. <laughs> I mean, it was revenue, but it was very sporadic and yeah. and difficult. I didn't have any, I wasn't making any money myself personally at all. Um, and it took a while to get there. Well, that's business. I mean, that's the thing is a lot of people think yeah. that they're going to get started and it's just the money's going to roll in and they have that vision and, you know, it, but it's hard and it's a grind and it's just, it's, it's in everything too. You may get lucky and, you know, get your first big deal or, you know, get, make good money on that first property, whatever, but, you know, to keep going and rolling with it too, it's, it's hard. And you're, you're proven, you're proven of that too. And everything you just said as well. And one thing you, you said, and you've, touched on too is you love looking and strategizing and trying to find the next thing to enhance communities and your investors too let's talk about that because you and i talked about this a little bit before the show times are changing uh interest rates are 
way higher than they were two years ago. Um, yeah. You know, property values and cost are way up right now as well. Uh, and then you see the doom and gloom. You go on YouTube, uh, you know, the guys that were saying properties are through the roof and they're going to continue to climb now are saying, oh, it's doom and gloom. Everything's going to crash this in 2023, you know. And so now their roles have changed on that. And it's like there's a lot of people right now is like, okay, I have money. Where should I put my money? Should I wait to put it in real estate? Should I hold on to the cash? Should I uh, put it in stocks? Or should I wait for that market to tank more? There's so much questions out in the economy right now. And you may not be able to answer this question because we all wish we had a crystal ball. But I got to ask it. So real estate today, you know, what are you buying? If anything, are you selling assets? What are you doing? What should people do with their money? Yeah, Bill, I'm going to answer your question. I just want to let you know, it's been really interesting because over the past three or four months, uh, that's been coming up a lot. Mm -hmm. I've actually been interviewed in the press quite a bit about this. I've actually, I did a YouTube thing for, uh, the, you know, there's a thing on my YouTube channel where I talk about sort of the things that you need to look at. And and a lot of people are asking that question, you know, what, what should I do with my money? Should I invest in real estate? Do I hold? There's people predicting doom and gloom. There's people yeah. saying this, saying that, right? I have, um, I think, a, a I, I take a pragmatic approach in what I do, but I have a little bit of a contrarian opinion um compared to what i'm hearing a lot of these days and and i'll 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 talk about all of that so um the it, the best time to invest in real estate was 10 years ago mm -hmm. the second time second best time to invest in real estate is now <laughs> and i i've i've heard that from people before that that i think that's like a saying right i'm not sure where it comes from but but i think it is true um, that, you know, when you look historically over time, real estate is a fantastic investment. And over the long term, it has so far always gone up in value mm. long term. I'm a believer that that will continue. Uh, real estate will at least keep up with inflation, but will probably exceed inflation in terms of long term value. When we're looking, you know, much, much further down the road. So, you know, can you, is now a good time, right? That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to time the market, okay? Any financial advisor will tell you, and I'm not saying that financial advisor is the greatest thing in the world. Some people like them, some people don't. But if you talk to anybody in this, stuff, they'll say, <clears throat> it's really, really hard to time the market. You got the best people in the business, right? These hedge funds and investment managers and stuff, they're tr they go to school for this. This is what they do full time. And they have a hard time timing the market, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's it's not about timing the market. It's about your time in the market. Mm -hmm. It's how long can you, can you find something? <clears throat> can you hold on to it long-term? Well, let me just reference my book for one quick second. I talk tells you that 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 book sort of tells my journey along the way. I share these different. There's 18 keystone concepts that I share in the book, and I just want to share with you guys keystone concept number five, which is cash flow is king. And what that concept is really about it's it's about a thing that my dad told me a long time ago. I didn't really realize like felt the impact of it like viscerally until the 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 
the crash that we had, the real estate market crash that we had in, in 2008. But you know, he said, you never lose money in real estate if you never have to sell. And so in 2008, when we saw property values go way, way, way down, right? That's the Great Recession. That's when we saw, you know, nationwide, you know, 15 to 20 percent, maybe even more in certain market decline in in the prices, right? But if you could hold on to that property during that time and make it through to the other side, which which I was fortunate to be able to do. Uh, on on the the property on the Upper West Side that I bought, then I was able to actually sell it and make money because I didn't I never had to sell I didn't have to sell it when I was low. So that cash flow is king. That concept, what it's talking about is if you're buying real estate investment and you have good positive cash flow. Well, number one, that gives us that income stream, right? Like the the Kiyosaki passive income stream, but also gives you a cushion so that you can ride out these inevitable dips that are going to happen. And I mean, it's a cycle, right? There's, yeah. there's boom times and there's bust times. What we don't know is when those are going to happen or how long they're going to go for. Um, you know, usually recessions in the United States since 1945 last about 10 months. But like, if you look at the last 14 decades, the U S economy was in a recession 30% of the time. It's normal. Now, for us right now, we've been in a in in like since the eighties, since the nineties, we haven't really had that many recessions. And in the last ten years, we've just been going up and up and up and up. So, and then the last recession that we had was a really bad one. I mean, they call it the Great Recession for a reason. Traditionally, during recessionary times, home values go down about two to four percent, right? So. Now, this, what we're going through now, we're seeing a decline of more than 2 to 4%. But I don't know that we're going to see a decline of, like, more than 20%. I think we're going to be somewhere in the middle there. I don't have a crystal ball, but that's that's what I think. There's still a ton of demand for real estate. I mean, I know a lot of your listeners are sort of in the construction world, and, and they all understand that, that there's a massive housing, sh- housing shortage, you know, by 2035, there was a study done by the, um, the the National Apartment Association and the National Multifamily Housing Council. And you know, on the low end, they were saying 2.6. And on the high end, they were saying 4.8 million uh, housing units that need to be created by 2035. So there's a demand. We need these housing units because of the demographics just in the country. There's, there's a need for housing. So I, I don't see like a a massive, massive crash. And I don't even think we have a real estate crisis right now. I do think we have a liquidity crisis. I think that debt is coming back to normal levels. We've had this unbelievably low interest rates for a couple of years now. Um, It started actually a little bit before COVID and then COVID just made them go down. You know, we we were buying properties and locking in long-term debt at under 3%. Like that's ridiculous, right? That's not normal. And because the debt was so inexpensive, valuations were much higher. You could pay more for the property because your debt service was so low. Now that debt service is coming back to a what I consider a, a normal range, like a historical norm of like five to seven percent. That's normal. Um, 
people are freaking out because you can't keep those same valuations that you had when when the when the cost of capital was really 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 low right the 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 interest rates were so low the debt not necessarily the cost of capital but the the, the debt service on that um on, on on the on the mortgages right that that really low interest rate is just not available and i don't know that we're ever going back to those low numbers now maybe we will but you know when i gaze into my super hazy crystal ball uh i see 2023 as an environment as a, as a volatile year um where i think we're going to continue to see interest uh rates rise mm-hmm. for first quarter second quarter maybe sometime in the second quarter to third quarter they stop uh and they sort of plateau. And then if we look at historically, what usually happens is about nine months after we start to see the uh, the rates start to come down. Mm-hmm. Now, in the past, you know, four of the past five tightening cycles, we've seen the rates come down quickly, right? The, the Fed's had to reverse course because we've gone into a recession. And so the, the question is like, what is going to happen? Like the, the Fed's trying to slow down the economy. We need to, to 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 fight inflation, but you know, do they overshoot or not? It's really hard for them. To do. It's it's like almost impossible. You're shooting in the dark. They make a change. They make a policy change. They can't really see the effects of that in the economy until about nine months after they do that. So it usually happens about nine months after they stop raising the rates. They can start bringing them down, and I think that they will. I think rates are going to go pretty high, but I do think. They'll come back down, but I don't see them going to like three percent. Like I think they'll, you know, they'll end up like five to six percent probably in 2024 or so. I'm, you know, I'm just guessing here. I have no way of actually knowing this, but that's historically when we look at the data. So, so Mark Twain is famous for having this quote where he says that history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And I love that quote because that that's how I've approached real estate since I've been involved is looking historically at what has happened and saying, okay, historically, this is what happens. Here's where we are. So we're probably heading in this direction. Again, it's not going to be exact. It's not going to be a repeat of itself, but it's going to rhyme. It's going to look similar. Yeah, I and going off what you said, I think a lot of people, their memories are very short term these days especially with social media and everything like that too they forget how things were before they forget how rates were in the past they're just kind of glued to well you know i have i paid almost two or i paid two percent or three percent on on a rate this is just insane paying six percent or whatever when at one point i think the rates were at 20 something percent at one point or something like that in the past um with credit i think volker in the 80s had brought yeah, the, uh, I think they were like at. Yeah, I think you're right, like eight, 14, 18, 20 percent, somewhere yeah, in the. It was insane. In the 19, <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah. So, so the past, I mean, it's like the people tend to forget about how things and you are right. I mean, history does repeat itself in a lot of ways, too. And and recessions are healthy resets to an economy that can't continue to climb because it helps people things reset so people can't afford things again, too. 
Uh, and I think people miss that whole thing. But I think with the doom and gloom and the social media and the YouTube these days, too, it just makes things a lot worse, um, you know, because everybody kind of does their videos for more clicks and stuff like that when it's not real true let's assess the situation like you did i mean what you did was went to past data you went to how you kind of see things um you're by no means giving any advice to people but you're seeing how trends were in the past and that's kind of how you're like you said you're fogged up crystal ball you're seeing things here in the future coming up so um yeah and i don't see I don't see this big crash like you're talking about, right? And yeah. we do hear a lot about that because of the demand that's there for real estate. I do think prices could continue to soften, right? But I just don't see this like massive, oh my gosh. And then everyone's saying, um, you know, that there's going to be this massive buying opportunity. We're going to be able to buy all, you know, keep all my money in cash because I'm going to be able to buy all these properties for pennies on the dollar in 2023. And, you know, I mean, I heard that during COVID too, right? Everyone's yeah. like, oh, now COVID, everyone's going to get foreclosed. There's going to be all these buying opportunities. I don't think that that's the case. There are so many. It, it, I, I really think this is all like super basic supply and demand. Like, Economics 101, right? Supply and demand. There's a demand for housing in the United States. That That's one thing. But on the other hand, there's all these investors who are waiting, who have this demand, they want to buy these properties. So, okay, great. Let's say that somebody does have a property that they got on some sort of bridge loan, and now the bridge loan is becoming due, right? And they are not going to be able to hold on to the property anymore. They're going to lose their property, so they're going to try to sell it. They may even sell it at a loss. Um because they they need to get out of the deal. Great. How many people are going to be jumping on that deal? And when I want to get that deal, Bill, and you want to get that deal, and I'm like, all right, well, I'll I'll pay a hundred dollars more than Bill, and then yeah. you're like, well, I'll pay a hundred dollars more than Matt. You know, you, you think of an auction, right? Think of an auction, and that same thing's going to happen in real estate. And I think that's going to keep the. There's so many investors and so many people who realize the value of real estate in specifically in multifamily, which I am very much involved in. Multifamily barely got hit in 2018, uh, sorry, in 2008, and it barely got hit by the the uh, COVID. I mean, COVID did make people have problems with collections, right? Mm -hmm. Especially depending on the class of property. And, and there was problems in 2008 with multifamily with people who had debt coming due. And again, that was because of the, the debt markets freezing up. But the the asset class itself was doing well. And a lot of people know that. It's not a secret. And a lot of people really like that. Um, and that's why it's gotten bid up so high lately. So I still, I don't think that maybe multifamily properties are going to be trading where they were at the beginning of 2022 because those were insane prices. But I also don't see this, you know, treasure trove of like, you know, incredible you know pennies on the dollar kind of deals because i just there's too much interest and too much mm -hmm. demand in it they gotta it's gonna have to be less because they have to make the new debt service payments work with the mm -hmm. higher interest rates so that'll be taken into account but i don't think there's going to be these ridiculous deals that people are predicting love it yeah i mean great inf great information right there too and i i 100 agree with you too just because i get it I get it from the construction angle too. I get asked all the time, do you see costs going down with construction material? And I say, no, 
just because there's so much demand, especially where we're at in Florida here. And after a hurricane hits too, then it's like people are questioning why the drywall costs have gone gone up. Well, when houses get flooded, drywall goes on demand, labor goes on demand because people need to get it replaced. So those manufacturers make more money and they charge more too because they can. It's an unfortunate thing, but that's what's happening. You know, my drywall guy just came up to me and he said, he goes, Bill, I got to raise my costs. I got to pay my guys more because they're threatening to leave me because there's so much work out there on top of material costs have skyrocketed too because there's a lot of work. So that kind of thing. Yeah, but happening. the material costs also do go up because of just because of inflation. So the, yeah, the raw materials they need to make the drywall or and the people who work for the drywall company have they're experiencing inflation. They got to buy groceries mm-hmm. for their families. So yeah. They're demanding more money, just like the, the workers are. Fuel so cost. it's a yeah you know it it does go up and 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 also when i think you have a crisis like a hurricane type of situation they've got to make more drywall and make it quickly which Mm -hmm. may require the manufacturer to and like i'm not like a big fan of like drywall manufacturers i don't i'm not invested in any drywall (laughs) business i'm just saying like you know they may have teams working around the clock to keep up with the demand, and they may need to pay people overtime or hire more employees or whatever. So there are costs that are like legit involved when when there's a large supply of something needed in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Exactly, Matt. Before we before we go, just to wrap this up, too, I always like to go personal questions with uh, my guests. So one question I cool. love asking is, "What about you personally? What lessons have you learned throughout your journey that we should all apply to our own business or own lives that can help us grow?" Well, I, I could I could write a whole book about it. I actually did, <laughs> and you did, uh, yeah. but. <laughs> But let, let me let's just talk about the, the 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 subtitle I have for the book because I think it's important there. Produce passive income, write your own story, and direct your dollars towards positive change. Mm. That's what I've learned along the way. I am producing passive income so I can write my own story, whatever my story is, right? Like whatever that is, whatever you're into. I really love the arts. I really love theater. So I'm directing my dollars towards positive change, not only within the apartment communities that I, that I, that I own and, and, and that I, you know, invested in, and, and we make those, those communities better, but also I direct some of my dollars into to charitable things and into the theater. That's something I'm passionate about. I got a friend who does the same kind of thing, uh, you know, as real estate syndicators, really passionate about animals and he donates time and money into to animal causes. So I think, you know, whatever it is that your passion is, like whatever your own story is, uh, passive income can help you do that. And I, and I hope that people will direct that money, that that freedom, that time that they get back into things that are positive for for the world, whatever that that passion of theirs is. I love that. I always get a great answer on that question. So another great answer. Another question, though, that I like to ask, too, and I love this one yeah. is everybody talks about your past. Let's hear about your future. Where will we see Matt in 10, 15, 20 years from now? I don't know. I might be uh, <laughs> hanging out in space uh, with, with uh, Jeff Bezos. And uh, no, I, I don't I, I don't necessarily. I love space, but I don't necessarily want to go up in this space. I, you know, I don't know. I have no idea where I'm going to be 10, 15 years from now. I know I'll be spending time with my family. 
I know I'll be hanging out with, I have, I have two wonderful girls. I know I'll, I'll remain married to my wife. I think we will be involved in, in the arts uh, to some extent. And I also think I'll be involved in real estate uh, to some extent as well, though. I think it'll be even more on the passive side, you know, but there will be projects that I'll, that I want to do that I'll continue doing. Um, and, and for me, the litmus test for those for those projects is what kind of impact can we make on a community? How can we enhance lives for for the residents of that community? And also, it's not a charity, right? So how can we also enhance the lives for our investors? How can we how can we be profitable and and do well by doing good? Yeah, I love that, and it's that's what it should be all about is enhancing the lives of the community, building communities, and and also obviously you're helping investors as well too. So love what you're doing, man. This is this has been great. Last question: What this show is all about? What exactly do people need to look for when investing in real estate, and why should they choose Matt as their go-to coach, mentor, investment partner of choice, and book the read too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I would say go to my website and download the free guide. It's like right there on the homepage because it will help you know some of the questions to ask. And then there's even more questions to ask if you if you buy the book. But that download is free. Um, uh, the, the uh, you know, it, it, it really comes down to who, like, I think the most important thing is like who who's running the deal and who, who you're partnering with know, know those people build those relationships that's the most key ingredient to success in real estate but also in life i think is is about building those relationships getting to know people um finding those like-minded individuals the people who share the same values that you do um and uh that that's the most important. So listen, if you feel like I I'm a good fit for you, that listener or watcher of this uh, podcast, and you want to talk, you want to connect, go to my website. Cool, we can we can connect and 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 talk. Um, but I, I would encourage you to go to the website to to download the free guide. There's so I have a blog where I write tons of educational material. Uh, there's like a newsletter you can sign up for that that where I just send you that stuff every month. So. Um, it, it, it's good learning, I think, for real estate that might um, expand your your viewpoint a little bit. So, yeah. Awesome, man. Uh, Matt, this has been great. I really appreciate time. I, like I said, I always have, I've had a lot of investors on. I always get something different from everybody. So you've done awesome today too. Where can people find and connect with you before we go? Oh yeah. So on the website, it's pacheni.com. Uh, I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes. Them notes yep. but i'll just spell it real quick if they're listening it's p-i-c-h-e-n-y.com awesome matt i appreciate it today this has been awesome thank you for coming thanks, on Bill. <laughs> thanks for having me really great questions i i enjoyed our time today Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate your time today, too. And everybody that's listening, you all know the routine. Please share this, like it, comment, four, five-star review. Not four stars, because all we accept is five stars on iTunes. And we appreciate you all. <laughs> Love y'all. And I will see you guys on the next episode.